Good evening, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. That was very formal. I felt like I was at the uh, London Palladium or something silly like that. Uh, it's great to be back on the Edge of Futures podcast, episode 179 this evening. Um, it's got into a bit of a habit where there's only two of us on at the moment, rather than the three of us that normally are, but we've no Steve today. Uh, but we have got the return, the return of the of the, of the the Fitzpatrick, Mr. Daniel Fitzpatrick. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, yeah, but a bit of drama at home, uh, hospital visits for the for the kids and all that, um, but everyone's well now, we're all doing okay, but uh, yeah, uh, you guys, uh, fantastic job with the tech rabbi a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that was that was that was a good one. We we miss you on that because we know how much we, you love Web three and NFTs and all that stuff that go with that. So we were like literally about three or four times within the episode, um, and those who are listening will know. Uh, we kept saying, "Oh, Dan, I'd be gutted that he's missing this. This is Dan's all over this. Dan loves this bit." So yeah, it was it was gutted. It was gutted that you weren't in, but actually glad to hear that the uh, the little ones are doing well. Yeah, yeah, all good, man, all good. So yeah, we're we're just. Uh... We're getting things ready for the awards at the moment. Um, yep. Those who those who follow us will know that every every year we have our Edge Futurist Awards, where we celebrate educators and leaders and and anyone really who's kind of progressing the the future of education out there, who's who's taking a stand and 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 really pushing the boundary. So uh, yeah, we're going through the shortlisting at the moment. We've just had our round of nominations. Uh, we're we're going through uh, the shortlisting in house. And we're soon to be really getting in contact with the shortlist, shortlisted nominees and and opening the voting form for this year. Thirtieth uh, yeah. of June online. Edufuturist.com is where you where you can find out all about it and see who has been nominated and get your vote in. Yeah, so nominations um, ended earlier this week and we got loads and loads of nominations, more than we've had before, which is always good. It's always nice to be moving in that right direction. And now, obviously, we are at that stage. But it's going to be great. We've got some announcements coming as well, haven't we, Dan, about um, our guest speaker, who is is absolutely uh, off the chain good. Um, yeah. A superstar, absolute done, superstar. I just thought we should have done some like, cryptic clues. That would have been good, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, it would. We could have like you how unprepared we are for, for what what for what what we what we could have done is like hidden some like little things in walls or like yeah. that that was kind of thing. You see what I've done there, Dan? <laughs> see what I've done? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of one. <laughs> no, there there is there isn't one. Let's 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 not do yeah. it. And we have and we have got a guest in the background waiting to to come on. So um, it is. It's great to be back. It's great to be back on in the seat on behind the microphone doing this, but it's also great to be able to welcome a guest all the way from the US of A today. And um, this was this person before we bring him in was introduced to us by a really good friend of the podcast, John Neal. Shout out John Neal and Mort, all those people who love Mort. Um, give us a little whoop whoop. Um, there's other people that will be giving us a whoop whoop there, by the way, as a listening. Can so it, listen. can you can hear it. You can hear it. So yeah. and and John and John did a introduction to our guest for today, and he, for those of you who are on Twitter or on or certainly on TikTok in education, you've probably heard of our guest. So without further ado, let's introduce Nicholas Ferroni. Hello, guys. Ben, Dan, what's going on? Yeah, it's good. It's good to be back, and it's also good to uh, to, to to get you on. I know that, that we've had a few little conversations about what we could talk about and what we would bring on, um, and um, just give us a little bit of an introduction to what you do, where you are, and 
yeah, what, what you're doing in education. So uh, my name is Nicholas Ferroni. I'm in my 19th year as a high school history, culture studies and history through pop culture and mass media teacher at my alma mater, Union High School in New Jersey, where I graduated from, God, uh, 25 years ago now. Wow. My classroom's still the same. Lockers are still the same. Bathroom's still the same. And lunch food is still the same. <laughs> but uh, as an educator, I've, I have a unique platform. I utilize my platform. Uh, before teaching, let me stress the fact I was an actor, so I was on a TV show before a teacher. I always wanted to be a teacher, but while I was waiting for a job, my cousin was like, who's a big agent, was like, let me send you on some auditions and you make some money until you become a teacher. So I ended up going on a few auditions, booking some jobs. I ended up acting and then subbing in my old school at the same time. Lo and behold, uh, a year and a half passes, a teaching job opens up. Uh, I am also getting more opportunities on the show and in different uh, roles as an actor. Nick, so I'm going to have I, to stop you. You're going to have to tell us what show you're on. You can't I was on see. All My Children. It was a soap opera. So oh, I, was on, okay. I was a tenant under guy. I would come on once or twice a week and I'd say, my line, hey guys, how you doing? Anybody want a beer? And that was it. But I slowly kind of was taking classes, getting better at it. Uh, with that being said, a teaching job, and I'm still in school, so you hear the announcements. So see, you guys are getting the school experience. Maybe I'll have a kid walk in late to class. But uh, so I was given the choice, you know, do I stay on the show and pursue this or do I become a teacher, something I always want to do? So I left that to do something that I was completely passionate about. And any educator will tell you, which I agree 100%, teaching is performing. I went from putting on one show day to six shows a day to an audience that does not want to be there. And it's our job as educators to convince them. And I honestly full heart, wholeheartedly believe that any great teacher could transition into acting very simply because we do it every single day. But not all great actors could transition into teaching. And it's one of those little fun things I just honestly feel. But because of my platform, because I went into teaching with a unique platform, uh, I've received some amazing honors I'm proud of. The Human Rights Campaign Teacher of the Year for my advocacy work. Uh, I did a social experiment that went viral on gender, uh, the lack of female representation in Congress with my students. And the experiment went viral. So I was on The View and different shows like that because of it. And I've also received some recognition that I'm not so proud of. And I know Ben, they were going to talk about where People Magazine gave me a very interesting title uh, with within perspective it, it was a blessing and a curse because it gave me a platform that many teachers did not have, but it also reinforced the fact that I was named teacher of the year, but nobody cared. But when People Magazine, and I'll say it, Dan, so you don't have to, or Ben, so you don't have to, but People Magazine gave me the title of Sexiest Teacher Live. It wasn't a title. They made it one. Ironically, they found me speaking at an event doing advocacy work and was like, let's create this whole new category. And I was hesitant at first because I'm like, we don't need to sexualize teachers. And then they were like, it's not a big deal. It'll give you a unique platform. And it has. The irony being is the first thing I do whenever I talk about it or, or I was brought on shows was to follow up saying, I'm actually a very good teacher. <laughs> it, the irony being it takes, think about it as teachers. Like it takes either a teacher doing something inappropriate or be given an inappropriate uh, title to be on primetime news, to celebrate, to be on in the media. You know, it's like once I got that inappropriate title that all the shows kept calling, all the shows wanted me to show up. Or you see the stories about teachers, something happens that they shouldn't be doing or they say something or something happens. But it gave me an interesting perspective, but it also allowed me to further advocate for teachers. 
And like what you guys are doing with your awards, my whole platform is I am a good teacher. I'm not the best teacher in my state. I'm not the best teacher in, in my country. I'm not the best teacher in my school. But I love to celebrate the work that amazing teachers are doing. And I feel like that's my obligation is to provide a space for teachers on social media to laugh, to think, to vent, and to share, and to let them know they're not alone. So I'm in my 19th year. I love what I do. It's the first year I've questioned whether I could continue doing it. And it's not because of the kids. It's because of the system. And it's so ironic talking to you guys, obviously, overseas, or, or, across the pond, and talking to teachers in Canada and Australia. Uh, the system's crumbling down. And the only reason it's being held together is because teachers have gone above and beyond and continue to go above and beyond. And now we're at the point where we can't do it anymore. And the system's crumbling. Teachers are leaving. And the irony being is the, the part of our job that we love the most, the teaching aspect, is the least important part of our job when it comes to the people who run the system. Yeah, it's interesting when you, you say, almost quite jarring for me listening. You know when you say, I'm a good teacher? Yes. I think that's quite a, it's quite a, you wouldn't hear that a lot. And I don't know if it's just because it's in England. <clears throat> And we we like we prefer to put ourselves down rather than 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 celebrate ourselves over here. I think, um, but I, but it also it's part of the culture. I think and a lot of a lot of the educational system, and and I can only really speak for England where I've worked. In that, you you probably people don't feel like they can afford to say I'm a good teacher because there's always next year's exam results that they're going to be judged on. There's always the next observation when the leadership team is going to walk in and observe them. And they can't, they almost can't afford to be, and I'm not saying you are this, but they can't afford to be a bit arrogant about how good of a teacher they are. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what you were saying, but right, I'm almost yeah. saying it in the reverse that, that it's quite refreshing to, to, to sit in front of someone who has the, who has the self-assurance to, to know that they're actually a good teacher and, and they're not ashamed to say that. Well, I think English people too, for my, for my friends, you guys are very self-deprecating. You're very <laughs> humble. Yeah, you're very humble compared to American standards. But the only reason I do say that I'm a good teacher is I feel, it's almost like I feel, and I, I jokingly say, it, we founded the Feminist Club because now I know what it's like to be a woman for a second to get a taste of it where you could cure cancer and everyone's going to be like, but you're so pretty. Or they judge you on your appearance. And it's like, that's why when I say I'm a good teacher, it's not like I'm a good teacher. It's like, I'm actually a good teacher besides getting this title, you know, and it's and I feel like it's more of a defensive mechanism than it is uh, bragging because my next sentence, Dan, is always, but I'm not even the best teacher in my school. You know, I'm getting honors and awards, but I'm like, I'm not even the best teacher in my school. There's teachers who do not have the platform. I probably have the loudest voice. So it's it definitely comes from a, a humbling place, but also comes from like a you're judging me based on this title, but I'm actually good at what I do, which mm. ironically, I feel like every woman deals with on a every single day where they can, they can solve the, the energy problem. And everybody's like, but you're so pretty, but you're dressed so nice. And it's like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a horrible place to get. It's every, any, yeah. any one of you could have that title. It's not a fun, uh, it's, it's it's not a fun belt to hold. I, I, I guarantee you that yeah. me and Dan definitely definitely <laughs> couldn't get oh, that. Speak for yourself, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, mate. Love you, mate. Uh, but I think I think what's I think what there's something really serious in what you're saying here. There's a what well, there's a few things in what you've just said there. First of all, about the labels that we put on people, and we can't we have this conversation about about people. Are, in all walks of life, but certainly we talk about it from a, the labels that we put on young people and how that affects. That's the first thing. Um, and then the second thing that's in there is you talk about um, the first time in 19 years that you've considered 
whether you can carry on doing this because of the system. And and I was looking at some stats the other day that that um that blew me away from the UK teacher recruitment. They reckon just just physics teachers, just physics, and then physics teachers is very specialist, but physics they reckon that this year they're going to recruit. 15% of the required target of physics teachers in the UK. One five, 15%. And languages and computing are less, also less than 15. The average, they reckon they're going to re recruit about 30% of the teachers that they need to in the UK. Now, that if we look at that across the world, teachers, there's, we're talking about like this, this huge change, and there's been things that have shifted that, and we know that there's been there's been re changes through the pandemic and all the things that go with it. But more than ever, teachers, really good teachers, people who are good at this and love love young people and love removing those barriers and those labels that we were just talking about are, are feeling themselves like, can, can this really continue? And it, it's a challenge, isn't it? Well, it's interesting. And it's like whenever, whenever I do any press on it, in, in America, I think they did a survey with our unions where 50% of the teachers are considering leaving. And a lot of them probably feel like they're being, they're just stuck where they are. But if we lose 10% of teachers, that's, that's almost a half a million people right there. The system's done. There's no way to sustain that. And it's, it's insanely, insanely unstable right now. Uh, but when it comes to teaching, we became educators because it's, it's, we didn't do it for summers off. We didn't do it for the perks. We did it because we want to invest. We care about education. We care. It's we we feed off inspiring other people. We invest. And for many of us, it's our dream job. Like me being a teacher, that's my dream job. Like I want to be Indiana Jones. I want to be the professor, the adventurer. Like that was my dream life. What does it say about society when we have people leaving their dream job because it's become so unbearable? You cannot find me another dream job where people are leaving it. And it's like that says everything right there where we're we were in this because of the students, but even that alone is not enough anymore to keep us in this uh, for the long haul. And we're losing so many. And it's the system. I thought people would, would rise up and realize that we need to pay teachers better. We need to invest in, there's no part of my language, no way in hell a teacher should have to work another job in order to, we shouldn't have to work another career to continue doing our, the career we care about. You know, could you imagine if you got on, a plane and the pilot gets on. He said, "I'm sorry. I'm I was I was driving an Uber all night. I'm sorry. I'm a little tired today." Or your surgeon was your 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 Uber Eats driver the night before he was performing surgery. You know, it's like, but with teachers, we're expected to be martyrs. And I used to be. I hate to say it. I was guilty of that toxic positivity. We're we're in it for the kids. That's that's guaranteed. But us advocating, sharing, venting, it's basically. We're standing in front of a burning house saying we need help, and everyone's looking at us like, "Do it yourself. Too bad." And they're not going to help us until the whole system comes crumbling down. And that's my fear. I do not want to lose every good teacher before people realize what we should have done. Well, there's that idea of the of the Peter principle as well, isn't there? That people say that you rise to the level of your incompetence. And actually, not only is it that teachers are leaving the profession, it's that good teachers leave the classroom. And me and Dan sit here um, having – like I, I consider myself – and this is very un-British of me. I do consider, I consider myself a good teacher. In fact, some of my students that I still see, because I live in the town where I used to teach, I still see these te these students. And when I tell them that I'm, I'm not teaching anymore, I've seen a, I saw a parent in their schoolyard the other day, and they said, are you still teaching? And I went, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm working with education and stuff, but I'm not actually in the classroom anymore. They go, what? Like, 
they're, they're, they're flabbergasted because they think like you should carry on doing it because you were good at it. Like it feels like a little bit wrong that you're not teaching. And I didn't leave necessarily just because the system was broken, but those ideas of people being promoted out of the classroom, as well as those people leaving the classroom, the good teachers, we are, we, we know there's going to be a recruitment crisis and there already is a recruitment crisis. We know there's a retention crisis, but um, I suppose it's about the a solution, and I think there is a something's something's got to give, hasn't it? Well, it's and you've said made a great point too. We're here. We are three men talking about education when we make up twenty three percent of the teachers in the world. And I didn't I didn't experience sexism until I became a teacher. When it made me realize we do not value the work of women. It's seen as a hobby. Most of us as as men have to leave the classroom, become administrators in America to even have a livable to be able to support a family. I don't want to be forced to leave the classroom because I just want to make more money because that's where they're paying better, which most men do, you know, and it's, it's that they force you to do that. Or the, the other irony, like you just said, I have no doubt you're amazing educators. We're sitting on a podcast to talk about the future of education. That shows me you've dedicated your life to bringing awareness and talking about this problem. And it's, we're so vested in it. But the other thing we shouldn't be put in a position where we should have to leave our class. Like if I leave my classroom, the only reason I would ever leave is to make more money. That says everything right there. The retention issue blows my mind because nobody's looking long-term. Their logic is, all right, we have to retain teachers and they're doing a lot of schools like this. So we have to, we have to recruit teachers. So let's increase the starting salary because that's the problem. So now imagine you've been working for a company for 20 years, which is happening in my school district. I'm, I'm 20 years in, I'm one of the best at what I do. You're going to pay a kid just starting off. You're going to increase their salary, but not mine because you feel like you got me. So think about how much of an insult it is to an employee when you're increasing starting salary, but you're not increasing the salary of the people who've invested and built and, and served their time. And that's what a lot of schools are doing, which to me is yep. I said, there's no better way to show your staff you don't respect them than to not increase their pay, but increase starting pay. And that's so happening a lot. Yeah, I don't know if you've I don't know if you've read No Rules Rules, the book about Netflix culture. Um, I know we talk about this on the podcast at times anyway, but Reed Hastings, who is one of the co-founders of Netflix, talks about um that there's loads of amazing things in terms of the culture that they've done. And there's I know that they're having a little few problems currently in terms of, re, uh, of, of recruitment and whatever else. But one of the things that they talk about is that they pay their staff top of market. So they find out what is the top of market and then they pay them that because they realize that if they're good programmers or they're good software engineers or whatever else it looks like, then the top companies are going to come and try and poach them. They're going to offer them something, offer them something better. So he said, he actively tells them to, to speak to their recruiters, to speak to these other people, to find out what the offer is and then come back to them and say, this is what I've been offered from Facebook. This is what I've been offered from Google or from Amazon. Uh, and then he goes, okay, we'll pay top of market. And but from teaching, we have no way to do that. In fact, I, 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 there is no way to do that. And I suppose it's only from, yeah, some, some changes. And I, I don't know what I don't know where you you are on it, Dan. You unmuted yourself. There. I don't know if there's if if that kind of lies with, with where you're sat as well. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I muted myself to have a little cough. To be fair, and then unmuted myself. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It, uh, it, it's yeah. That whole thing of as a hobby. Uh, when you were saying that, I kept thinking of that. It's that 
that view of and, and i suppose we still have it to a certain extent in our culture of nurses too of that it's a vocation that that and, and, I, and i don't i think that word has it has positive connotations but it also can bring bring some negative connotations as well that that oh well it's your call and that's what that's where you're supposed to be um so you that's you you should just take enjoyment from being there because that's where you're supposed to be and and we and we're in a world where the the cost of living is going through the roof at the moment inflation is is rising and how can anybody enjoy being somewhere where they can't afford to to feed their family and put the heating on at the same time well going back to obviously elaborate what dan just said and what ben just said too in two towns over i'd be making thirty thousand more dollars doing the same exact job so how insulting is that as an educator knowing that your town the same demographic the same makeup the same budget they're paying their teachers 30,000 more with the same experience, the same background. Our district is, and I hate this, and I'm being honest, is basically kind of like the minimum wage. How little can we pay them and keep them? Like, what does that say about appreciation? What does that say about investment? And it's, and there's a reason why there's a lot of openings in our district. And I'm likely going to leave my district because I could make 30,000 more in another district doing the same exact work. And I've only been loyal to my district because this is where I grew up. This is where my heart is. And loyalty only takes you so far. And it's kind of like, you know, when people are appreciated, they they go above and beyond. And if you pay, if you pay top dollar, you will have your pick of candidates because everybody would want to work there. I don't see how people don't understand that. If you have a turnover every year, it is your fault. It's not the schools. It's your fault. Agreed. There's no there's no other job in the world. There's no other job in the world. Well, like a baby, something like nursing, but it is those service type where, you, as if you sh- you owe it, you owe it, you owe somebody this, and 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 so much, like because you get these holidays, because you get um this, you finish it. It's that mentality about nine till three concept. All those kind of like those 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 those. It's just which is just mental, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's like saying, I mean, saying teachers. Teachers only work 180 days during the year between eight and three is like saying Tom Brady only works 16 Sundays a year. Does he only work 16 days a year? No. You know, it's like most of the work we do. And it's like, even that is, you know, the education system is paid on the unpaid. It's built on the unpaid labor of teachers. They don't give you enough time. And I, I have no doubt it's the same in every country where they expect you to grade at home. They expect you to lesson plan home. They expect you to kind of think about any other profession. Like you'd be paid for that time. No, education is only functioning. It's funny because I always say about striking, we can't strike because obviously it's criminal in certain states here for teachers in certain professions. But we wouldn't have to strike. If teachers only did what they're contractually obligated, the system would fall apart because we would never be able to do our job, especially not be able to do it well. Yeah. And and I, and I don't think money's not money doesn't make someone do a better job, does it? It's not. It's not the fact that we want money for the sake of of of, of a motivating factor, but but when it's going to make you, your personal life more comfortable, it's going to make your family more comfortable. Then then it does matter. It does matter. Um, yeah, it's it's a, yeah. What's let's get to some positives yeah. about about education. Um, let's bring let's bring it up. Uh, it'd be great to get into some of the campaigns you've done, Nick, and 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 kind of give those a shout out and for you to. To, to delve into some of them because there's some great work going on there. Well, it's it's the same thing, the positive. So this past year for Teacher Appreciation Week, 
which again, as everyone points out, if you have appreciation week, it probably means you're not being appreciated or paid very well. <laughs> but it was kind of interesting too, because I'm bittersweet because I do a lot of teacher appreciation campaigns. I like working with brands to help teachers, whether it's discounts, I will help teachers get every freebie I can. I will reach out to companies and try, like I just did an event with the New York Mets, a baseball team here where we honored four teachers. So I reach out to brands and I say, hey, would you want to do something for teacher appreciation? I do it for free. I spend hours of my own time developing these campaigns because if I can help provide discounts and resources to teachers. So teacher appreciation, I support, but I also feel like we can utilize it for so many other causes. So this year I kind of came up with, I want to be anti-teacher appreciation week where it's like we kind of protest the need for it, but at the same time, I want to celebrate it's the things that we do, it, the performative discounts we do get. So I ended up settling on if we appreciated teachers. So I created a little template. I created the hashtag, if we appreciated teachers. And I just wanted teachers and parents and, and people just to finish the blank. And it ended up going, it ended up going viral, ended up being very well because everyone was filling in the blank. If we appreciated teachers, we would fund their classrooms and not make them buy our supplies. If we appreciated teachers, we would only make them work an extra job if it was their choice. And it was kind of an open-ended, which was a positive. To me, it's solution-driven. And the responses, things that I think about, if we appreciated teachers, we would provide paid maternity leave, you know, something like that, because we are 78% or 76% now female. So it, it was a campaign we did during Teacher Appreciation Week, which is still kind of going on. And it's kind of just helping provide those solutions to what we really need to change about the education system and within teacher support to actually make not instant difference, but long lasting difference. And so that was one campaign that we did recently that was pretty powerful. Are you struggling to manage your school's Chromebooks and looking for a solution? Check out the Vault episode with the team from Visor for features and why it can make a difference to managing your devices. Visor integrates with the Google Admin Console to keep track of your Chromebook inventory and repairs. For an exclusive Edufuturist offer for 20% off for your first year, go to visor.cloud slash edu. That's V-I-Z-O-R dot cloud slash edu. I love that. I love that idea that you're trying to flip that as well. And just like Dan tried to flip the conversation away from, because, <laughs> because I, I know what I'm like, because I feel like the system's broken. Um, and I know that we'll sit on that, but we're, all, we're always trying to look for, well, what, what could be done differently? So what you've done with that flip of, if we appreciated teachers, because, because the sentiment there is we don't appreciate teachers enough, which is the truth. But if we did, this is what we would do. And so I love that. Like things like we, we take that for granted in the UK that we have paid maternity leave for teachers. We do take that for granted. We 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 have that, and we know that that is a. We have our unions have fought for that and fought hard for that. But I think it's really important that we, we, we're thinking about the the opportunity for how we could change things. And I think one of the one of the things that I really liked when I was looking at what you did, and and you mentioned it earlier on in your intro where we were talking about that that campaign for Upstander of the Year for the campaign that you did around human rights, particularly around LGBTQ youth and what that meant. And I wondered if you would just talk to us about like the advocacy and support work that you did on that um, and why that mattered, because we think this is about the future of education, because this has not been something that we've addressed and not something that where you talked about labels earlier, labels that that have harmed people or labels that we haven't been allowed people to wear when they should have been able to wear it. And I think that's, that's important, isn't it? And I know that that's what you've, that you've stood up for. 
Well, it's, it's funny. I'm getting a lot of uh, sympathy and, and well wishes from teachers from around the world in, in the UK and in Canada because they see what's happening in America as far as the censorship and the attacks on teachers and education in particular. So like in Florida, the, the parental rights and education bill, you know, which basically is they're trying to word it. Well, we don't want K through third grade teachers to talk about sexuality with students. We don't want them to do this uh, or what is considered age appropriate, which everyone's like, which the implication is teachers talk to their students about sexuality. But what in fact it does, they're trying to censor the fact that I have a friend who has a picture of him and his husband on his desk, his partner. Technically, a parent complains about that. That is promoting homosexuality. If anybody talks or reads a book, a children's book, My Two Moms, that is promoting homosexuality. The other irony is people don't realize then the reverse applies. So you can't talk about any books that involve uh, a male and female couple because that's promoting heterosexuality. Or you can't have any books about gender in general. So there's all these different attacks focusing on the LGBT community and minority communities, Latino, Latino students and African-American students. Uh, as advocacy, especially being a straight white man, it is my obligation to advocate for not only women's rights, but for LGBTQ rights and for minority rights, uh, because I'm technically on the side who's doing their pressing. And when it comes to the campaign that we did, we did a straight teachers for gay students campaign where it was just, there's a lot of teachers south of the Mason-Dixon line in my country that are not even allowed to talk about sexuality or even su openly support or it, they're forced legally to out their students if they find out, which having students who've committed suicide because their families found out that they were gay, people are also like, how dare a teacher not tell their family that they know a student's sexuality? And then my logic is, what does it say about the family when the student feels more comfortable coming to me than it does to them? And so there's all this uh, religious politicizing of education on what our role is. And as educators, first of all, our religious views and our politics should not dictate how we are as a teacher. If it does, you should not be an educator. My religious beliefs should not factor into whether some of my students do not feel like they are seen in my classroom. If it does, I should not be a teacher. And that's one thing I stress often. So we just did a campaign where educators, particularly straight educators, uh, provided open support on social media. Of course, we got attacked for it. But, you know, it's like I will die on any hill where I'm doing the best thing for my students. And so we, we did a few different campaigns. Some were parodies. Uh, we did a viral video where I will gladly exploit myself to bring social awareness. So we did a campaign. Lance Bass is a friend of mine, the singer from NSYNC. So we did a video. I did a video called I Spent the Entire Day with Lance Bass and I'm Still Straight. When they were pushing all this agenda that obviously having a teacher talk about sexuality turns somebody homosexual. I'm like, all right, well, I spent an entire day with Lance Bass and I'm still straight. You know, it's like so we did campaigns like that, which were to be parody, but also to bring absurdity to what people are talking about. So I feel it's an obligation as an educator. If you teach in the South and you see politicians criticizing Mexican immigrants and you don't openly support your Mexican students, you're doing them a disservice. It's not political. It's personal for teachers. We don't play politics. If your child doesn't know that you support them or your students don't know that you support them when they walk in your class, you're not doing your job as a teacher. I don't care what you are from what background, religion, ethnicity, sexuality. Every kid should walk in your classroom knowing that they're they're seen, supported, and, and they're cared for. And I hate to say it, but it's like I know teachers who feel like it's not in their place to say anything. But to me, I mean, what is the phrase? 
when when you're silent on things that matter, you're siding with the oppressor. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think I like I like that. It's not the easy route, is it? Because the easy route is just is just a kind of blend in. But you've you're using a platform. Um, one of the things that w- when we found out when John was talking to us about you, he was talking about your presence on social media. And obviously I've got a platform there from a TikTok perspective and some things that have gone big and viral there. But it's not just about the platform. That's what I'm getting from listening to you. It's not about like, it's always nice to have followers. It's always nice for people to appreciate what you have to say. But we've, we're getting into quite deep philosophical stuff here. With great power comes great responsibility, doesn't it? And it, and it does, um, as, as Mr. Churchill would have said. It's that idea that you, we should, we've got, if we've got a platform, we should say the things and do the things that, that matter because that's, that's what the responsibility comes to. We've got a massive responsibility on our shoulders. And, and I know not many teachers do. And it's like, I have a lot of teachers who reach out. Anytime I post something for every 1000 teachers who comment on it, I get 2000 messages of saying, I wish I could say something, but I know I'll be attacked or my administration or this or that. And to me, that's the problem because teachers are extremely silenced and it's not a matter of political views. It's a matter of, you know, a teacher saying that we're suppressing a group or we're oppressing a group. How is that? How is that not anything other than I support my students? I care about my students. But it's just it, we can as educators, you know, we are in a unique position of power. And to me, it's like I will I will never keep quiet on something that affects my students or affects somebody I know as a student, because to me, it's like that's our whole job is to empower youth. And if anybody who believes that as an as even as a non-educator doesn't who, who believes in that, then they should be able to to know that teachers should speak out in defense of their students. And I think a lot of educators don't, which is why I feel, again, obligated to do so. Because so many teachers, I'm I'm not going to lose my job. I, luckily, if I, t- if I taught in the South, I probably would be fired. Or they would tell me to not be so outspoken or not. But it's like, I will, I defend everything I say. I back up everything I say. And if I could just bring awareness or, or make people reevaluate what they're doing or just show a teacher they're not alone in, in their thoughts or their, their support, then to me, it's like I'm doing my job. It is, it is a big cross to bear, but at the same time, it's, it's, I just, I've always grown up with the fact where you speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves. And I, I feel like I, I, anybody with a platform has an obligation. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, we seen something similar in the, in the UK. Uh, I think it was towards the end of last year when I think some teachers were, were, were just were in, in their normal course of teaching whether it be politics history whatever they, whatever they were teaching it didn't feel like they could be silent on some of the 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 proven lies that were coming out of government and and the injustices that that untruths um cause um within our society and and within a within a few months the the government had had brought in legislation to say that teachers couldn't be political in the classroom um, and I think a lot of teachers found that that it was they were being restricted there. And I think it says something about, and I know because I follow you on Twitter, Nick. Um, I know you, a, f- a few weeks ago you were reacting to it to a post that went out about that said teachers should just do their job and teach, yeah. and and it and I was, it's it's in the forefront of my mind at the minute. Um, because of that, I think, I think where it, 
we're teachers and I, and I say we because I've only just left the classroom last year myself and we're teachers but teaching isn't just about teaching knowledge is it it's not just right what's in a curriculum what's in this textbook let's learn it it's actually forming it's teaching that the human being in front of you to be a, a an aware human being and 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 many times you have to cross over into social justice especially when you live in a society that that isn't just in order to to form that human being in front of you that's the minute somebody says teachers should just teach that's my instant moment where i know they have no idea what teachers actually do i'm like the minute you're like just do you realize how horrible that would be like you that's <laughs> you hate children because if we just teach we're not doing our jobs Hi. i'm sorry, sorry I'm just <laughs> yeah yeah it yeah and, and it does and and that goes it goes back to the the hours the teachers work doesn't it the fact that they have to they have to do all those they have to be the social worker they have to be the counselor they have to they have to do so many things uh, we I mean, my old my old school we we lived at, we my old school was in a in a fairly deprived area um an old coal mining town in county durham that 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 str- struggles financially and and we we literally have to drive up and i know it's the case for many schools but we had to get in a minibus and drive around and and, and get the kids out of bed and, and bring them into school in the morning and and we had to feed them we had to make sure that they they were awake fed had had something to drink before we could even think about teaching them but even during the pandemic schools across the world stayed open for food because students rely on themselves and it's so funny because every one of us could talk about things we've done that are not in the curriculum but changed lives and impacted lives and that's why it's like even the idea of like equity, like equity has become such a negative politicized word in America when I'm like, equity is how you teach. You're not equal. You know, an equal teacher would be if one of my students' father passed away and I have an assignment due that day, an equal teacher would have said, I don't care if your dad died. I need you to do this assignment. That would be horrible. An equitable teacher says, you know what? Your family first. My, I, I can't imagine what you're going through. Don't even worry about this assignment. It's, it's not even important right now. Or, and I, I tell people, and they're like, oh, are you an equitable teacher? I'm like, do you mean, do I think a student in a wheelchair should have a ramp? Yeah, that's equitable. Is that equal? No. Equal would be like too bad for them. It's, 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 it's their fault. Let them deal with the stairs. That's equal. But it's so funny how in America, equity has become such a horrific thing when in fact, it's education without equity is, is education without empathy. And, and I believe that one hundred percent. Yeah, I think I think that's that's uh, that's lovely. I'm going to write that down. By the way, uh, education without equity is, is education without empathy. I think I think what what's what's coming out really clear um, in all of this, and I, I'm really interested to get into your teach the truth campaign because that went that went quite big, didn't it as well? But it, but a lot of this is about that ability to. Um, as a teacher, is more than just delivering content i keep going i keep going on about this quite a lot um with in, in some of the presentations i've done recently um i get really upset and i our good friend from the uk you might, i'm not sure if you'll know him but professor bob harrison wonderful man who's been working in for 40 50 years in education he's been working on on, on trying to change the system but he um he really is championing this or has championed this idea that it's not about content delivery. Stop, keep going on about getting through content and getting over. But so teaching is way more 
than just just getting some information out of your brain into a child a child's brain. We know that, but actually, what you're saying is it's not just teaching and learning pedagogy stuff. There's there's the whole package, and actually, do you know like there is something absolutely wonderful. We'll all have anecdotes of the child that we like Dan was saying there about picking children up from school. We'll all have anecdotes of the times where we somebody hasn't paid for a school trip because um they couldn't have done and we, we still wanted to go but we just kind of left it or we 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 put some some money in a in a little pot there that they could get some get some lunch for from and you think to yourself if anybody knew that we'd done this we could probably get in trouble but it's the right thing to do and uh and and all those times of extra school extra schooling extra help that you give people phoning up parents and chatting i remember counseling parents never mind children and uh and and that's ultimately that's where it still takes a teacher and all these these people that think that it can be that teaching can be done by robots or teaching can be done by an online course alone and and it's the actual the whole wrap around holistic development stuff so yeah, I just I just went on a little soapbox there, but I think you're right. I'm I'm with you. I believe what you're saying. Well, but I mean, you're right. It's like anybody who thinks teachers are replaceable, like books should replace teachers. Then books technically you don't need teachers because that's all the information. You know, TVs technically should replace teachers if people believe teachers are replaceable. Teachers are not replaceable. It's it's like anything else. You need the messenger to deliver the message, but the message is there. It's just we need people to deliver the message and teachers, robots will never replace the impact of an educator. And it's if teachers were replaceable, we would have been replaced a long time ago. And and that's the problem. It's like even in schools you see here where that they get taken over by the government because they're they're performing. Teachers are reading scripts. They're taking all the all the relationship aspects. And I think any educator any educator of any worth will say, you know, teaching education is impossible unless there's a relationship unless there's something built, whether it's trust, respect, care, you know, it's like nothing. I've, when I first started teaching Ben, I was all about the content. I'm like, I have to teach history. I have to do as much as I can. It was my worst year. Once I realized that relationships come first, content comes later. It, it, it changed my entire teaching practice. It made me the successful teacher I am because nobody will listen to anyone that they don't think cares about them. And that applies to adults. Yep. Yep. You're right. You're right. I think on that, is it, could you, obviously you're a history teacher by, 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 by trade. And I know that you, you teach some other things there as well that you mentioned in that intro. Yeah. Um, but what was it? Tell, t- could you tell our audience a little bit about your teach the truth campaign? Cause I think that's, that's wide as well, isn't it? So teach the truth was a campaign we did probably eight years ago, which was very controversial, actually revolutionary because it's, it, it, cause people to question what we teach. To me, the what we teach is probably more important than how we teach often. Uh, and I remember taking my college courses at Rutgers, which is our state school in New Jersey, and taking African-American studies and women's studies and LGBTQ studies and learning about history of other groups and then realizing and not believing it was real because I'm like, we didn't learn any of that. You know, it was none of it was in textbooks. And of course, if it's not a textbook, it must be unimportant. So Teacher Truth was a campaign, was initiative. It was kind of based on the work of like Howard Zinn and Eric Foner, who were amazing scholars who taught the the multitude of levels of of history from different perspectives and sharing those narratives. And I will say this without a doubt, uh, learning history of other people doesn't make you self-loathe yourself, doesn't make you hate yourself. It makes you more empathetic and it makes you more understanding. 
The only people who should learn about women's history more than women are men. The only people who should learn about black history more than black people are white people. The only people who should learn about LGBTQ history more than the LGBT community are straight people. Because when you learn about other people's history, it makes you empathetic to that group. So Teach the Truth was working with different foundations who implement other supplement activities and curriculums to include more histories and more narratives in textbooks that were not straight white Christian men. You know, and it's like, I always used to joke with my students, so I'm going to teach you the straight white Christian male history. You know, and it's like, and at the same time, I, I also unpacked on how we write history books, who write history, why are certain stories left out? And taking those courses in college, it didn't make me dislike my group. I always joke with my students. I'm like, we learned about the American Revolution. I'm like, do you hate British people now? No. It's like, it was an event that happened. It's like, it's it occurred. We talk about what happened. There was, I also like to point out the fact that we had a pretty decent relationship with England and we had a better standard of living than people did in England when it happened and why it happened and how it evolved. But it's, we have this narrative about the Disney sugar-coated version of history from one perspective and people did not want to stray from that. Now we see a lot of educators who are teaching stuff that is not in our textbooks. You know, I think I broke it down and in our textbook, which is pretty much the national standard, for every 10 white Christian men, we talk about one woman and one minority. 10 to 1, which convinces me that, hey, we did everything. And then it convinces me that women and minorities were, were footnotes. They did very little. But then it also convinces those groups that they did very little. They didn't contribute. When in fact, of course, you can't teach about every figure, but it should be more diverse. There are so many inspiring stories from so many groups that can inspire so many people. And I feel like it's essential to diversify. It's not being politically correct. To me, it's like representation in history matters as much as representation in media. I'm I'm really I'm I'm fascinated by what you said right at the start, really about teaching history through pop culture. Is that one of mm -hmm. your, one of your courses or what yeah. you do? I'm like, if if that was how history was taught when I was at school, I think I would have. I think I might have enjoyed it. Well, I mean, I'll give you an example of lesson we're learning now. We're learning about the uh, how media in America, TV, films, and shows created and shaped how white people felt about black America. And there was this phrase in America called the mythology of black criminality, where the first film in America was birth of a nation. It was a black and white film about the Confederacy and how the Ku Klux Klan saved the South from black people and northerners. The two black characters, imagine this, the most popular film in the world had two black characters, both white men in black face. One of them was a murderer and the other was raping white women and assaulting and preying on white women. And so that's how the world saw people of color. And it's like media shapes perception. Like I still have racist and sexist beliefs because of things I saw. You know, then we got the Simpsons. I'm an Italian. There's two Italians on the Simpsons. One's in the mob. One owns a restaurant, an Italian restaurant. Yes, my dad did own an Italian restaurant. So there's some truth to stereotypes. But, but it's like these narratives, pop culture shapes how we see history. Every study shows that if you see a movie about history, that is more likely to you'll think it as truth. Your brain doesn't know the separation between truth and reality. That is why we see these films like from like 2000 years ago about Rome and gladiators and they're speaking with an English accent. We think that's accurate. Like they weren't speaking English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Russell Crowe speaking with an English, you know, that Australian accent, like that's that wasn't glad gladiatorial. That was at that times. But oh, oh white Jesus. Yeah, that's white Jesus. Yeah. One, yeah. I've had parents say, <laughs> 
I've had parents say, did you tell my child that Jesus was Middle Eastern and Jewish? I'm like, yeah, he was. <laughs> like, well, why every movie I saw about him, he was white? I said, that's how media shapes perception. You know, Cleopatra, Elizabeth, uh, Catherine Hepburn, or, or Elizabeth Taylor, I'm sorry. You know, so it's like media shapes perception so much. I feel like media, music, film, cartoons shape our perception of history more than history does. Yeah, 100%. And I feel bad about bringing up New Jersey and the Sopranos earlier now. No, but it's, uh, it's I joke about that all the time. I joke about that. And it's true. Like, there's, there's, but it's like, it's, I'd rather you bring up the Sopranos than Jersey Shore. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you know, but uh, there's a, from my part of the world, there's a, there's a famous program that was based on Jersey Shore called Georgie Shore. No, I didn't. It's, I it's horrendous. Do yeah. not watch it. It's horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, fact, somebody who never met anybody from New Jersey, those are the two perspectives, like yeah. Jersey Shore and The Sopranos. And it's I so... I know how you feel. Like, I, I was, my, when I visited, I visited New York a couple of years ago and um, dreamt of going to New... I know you're like 15 minutes from New York there, but I dreamt of new, going to New York my whole life because that's what I saw on TV as I, as I was growing up. A new, like New York in every Christmas movie, um, New York comedy like it's it's where i want it's where i wanted to be i felt like even before i got there it was like my spiritual home and i and i flew into to jfk got the got the uh the underground train and uh, we and got to the hotel amazed by and i felt like i was on the other side of the world nick to be honest um and and walked into the hotel and and said to the said to the receptionist in my my northern english accent um we've got a booking and the first thing she said to me was do you watch geordie shaw and i was like oh, what she recognized my accent from the show geordie shaw I was like, i've just come to the other side of the world this place of my dreams and uh and i'm associated with geordie shaw yeah it well, well just know my students in our class we analyzed uh accents which accents we we which accents are the smartest sounding because somebody has them and they always say that the english accent automatically sounds like the smartest so yeah, but not the not the northern English. Yeah, not the northern. I, didn't know about, I didn't know about any of that. I didn't know there was, I didn't know there's prejudice within England based on your accents. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. Because I've got I've got this dulcet northern tone. Dan's got Dan doesn't think I'm even northern because I'm like probably a hundred miles south of where Dan is. And so therefore he doesn't he thinks I'm in the Midlands. I'm not really north. And uh and like my my accent is is um when I speak to people from London or from who, who are posh from down south, they, uh, they, yeah, they, they, they think I've got, I've got a funny accent. But just, just what one last thing I was wanting to, to just to touch on before we finished is that um, obviously you, when you won the award that you don't like to talk about award that you won, yeah. uh, part of that was about um, your focus. You talked about holistic. Uh, development. Um, one of the things that we've 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 seen is the stuff that you've done about diet and nutrition and about caring for yourself, because self care is is about is about understanding others and about understand and empathy, but also it's about self care. So I wondered I wondered if we could finish with like there's a, there's a there's an article that came out about how do you stay um how, what what was the what was the phrase how Nick Ferroni trains to be the fittest teacher in America. So, so, so tell us, tell us a little bit about your, um, the, the way that you work and, and how you manage to do that alongside your teacher. Cause it might, this just might inspire some teachers. It's tough and it's, it's tough. I obviously was an athlete growing up. So health and nutrition have always been a big part of my life, but like self-care it's, it's funny because I try to lead by example with my students. We meditate together certain days. 
I, I, we talk about nutrition, we talk about health, especially having students who are from maybe socioeconomically middle, lower class who don't really have, like in my household, I grew up in an Italian household. Like my, my parents thought pasta and meatballs was a healthy meal, which was a great meal, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a nutritious meal, it's sort of say. It was delicious, but not nutritious. So I talk to my students a lot about health and nutrition. I, I do a lot of stuff. I, I'll be leaving here. I'm dressed in my gym clothes. I go meet three former students. We train, we work out together. For me, I everything I do, I practice, I do with my students. From making vision boards to meditation to going over healthy meals. Though I teach history, we watch trailers about documentary called Fed Up about the impact of the sugar industry on their lives, how much sugar impacts their life and their health. To me, it's like I just like planting those seeds health-wise with my students so that way they can then learn about them even more. Um, my routine is very simple. I'm I'm, I'm obsessive compulsive when it comes to meditating every morning. I work out every day. That is my only stress reliever. I do not drink. Uh, probably should more. I might be better off. Even though marijuana is officially legal in New Jersey, I do not smoke it. Uh, but stress, like my stress relieving is working out. I feel like everyone needs some sort of outlet and eating healthy. It's like you, the better I treat my body, the better teacher I am, the more focused I am. And it just ties into everything else. And I'm not saying I don't have a good burger and pizza now and then. It's just, I, to me, it's like I try those routines. But for me, working out in meditation are like my staples. If I do not have them or if I don't do them, my whole day goes differently. And I always try to find ways to fit them in. Because as teachers, you know, it's I also have the luxury of not having a family. I don't have children. I just have a girlfriend to please. That is it. Uh, but it's so I have the luxury of still focusing my own self-care. But as teachers, we all need outlets. We need something that's not obviously not going to physically harm us or internally harm us, but but something that you can relieve and and that focuses on mental health. Meditation to me is probably one of the the, the benchmarks for my mental sanity, sort of say. Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Nick. It really has. Um, and yeah, we'll let you go. Get get yourself off to to do your workout and 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 chill out for the rest of the day hopefully and relax after a busy day at school uh if our listeners are wanting to to get more of nick into their lives where, where do they go what how do they they follow you well for tiktok i'm at mr ferroni which is f-e-r-r-o-n-i but for for twitter and for instagram it's at nicholas ferroni and it's at mr ferroni for facebook so I mean, again, I just provide, I celebrate teachers. I try to make you laugh. I try to make you think I'll, I'll share some venting, but yeah, it's, it's great to talk to other educators from across the sea who also suffering through the same things. There's always, there's always good friendship built on shared suffering. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for, Thank uh, thanks for your time. So I really, really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I know that I'll be, there's loads in there. There's lots to unpick for our, for our audience from, from all sorts, from health and nutrition to advocacy to inclusion and equity and to uh, to teaching really, really well, as well as caring for teachers. So thanks so much for joining us on episode 179 of the Edgy Futurist podcast. It's been a wrap, gents. Thank you.